Artemi Panarin is back with the Rangers after a two-and-a-half-week-long absence, but the team's playoff berth is drifting further and further out of reach. We'll debrief the last few losses and what lies ahead as the team wraps up their six-game road trip. The Post's one and only Hall of Famer Larry Brooks drops by to discuss Igor Shesterkin and potential call-ups from Hartford. We're also joined by former Rangers Tom Laidlaw and Rob McClanahan to commemorate Mark Pavlich. All that and more is next on a Return of the Breadman edition of Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. To up in the blue seats podcast, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts, but make sure to give us that five star rating and write in a nice review. Former Rangers Tom Laylaw and Rob McClanahan will join us to commemorate the late tragic passing of Mark Pavlich. We'll also be joined as we do are every week by Larry Brooks of the New York Post. Now, your hosts of the show, of course, are Ron Duguay and Molly Walker. We'll start things a little bit different and say, happy birthday to you. (laughs) Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Molly. Happy birthday to you. Oh, are you 21? Are you 22? Are you 23? Are you 24? There it is. Yeah, we're not singers, but uh, take it away, birthday girl and Ron Duguay. Well, let me get started. And I guess it's it's a week of uh, good news and some sad news. Let's start with the good news. Thank you to all our listeners, because we are now 12th overall on the hockey charts on Apple Podcasts. Woo-hoo. So the reviews, yeah, the reviews make a big, big, big difference. And so because of that, we so look forward to doing the show every week because we're getting some good feedback and it's awesome. We um, we got always a lot of things to discuss. A whole week goes by and some weeks are more quiet than others. But this week, some sad stuff. And I'm sure you've heard the passing of teammate of mine, Ranger alumni. I'm sure he's a big fan of a lot of you. And that's Mark Pavlich. Uh, we have a couple of guests today that we're going to kind of go back into when he was in New York as a player, we'll talk a little bit about his time as an Olympian. And yes, Robbie McClanahan will be here to share some stories. And of course, Tommy Laidlaw, who played with Pav, will have stories also. But it's we're going to keep this positive. It's sad that we've lost him. And then moving forward, but the big news, Molly, is Panarin. Number 10, Panera is back. May not be in the lineup tonight. Apparently, he's not in the lineup. But it's good news that he's back. And, and and Molly, I need to share it right off the top. Why is he not playing tonight? Well, before we get into the Artemi Panarin news, I just want to give a shout out to my podcast boyfriends, Jake and Ron, for sending me flowers and chocolates on my special day. I really appreciate it, you guys. You made my entire day. And to obviously everybody else on Twitter.com, the great hell site that it is. Gave me lots of happy birthday wishes, so thank you all so much. But getting down to it, great news, like Ron was saying, aside from the 
tragic news, which we'll get into later. But Artemi Panarin, the bread man, is back with the Rangers. Huge lift for the team's offense, for the team's morale and confidence in general. He joined the team in Boston for practice Wednesday. It was the first time he skated with the team, I believe. But head coach David Quinn did say he won't be in the lineup Thursday against Boston. The coaching staff wants him to skate a little more and get back into game shape. Understandably, you don't want him to get back and have him pull a muscle because he's been away from the ice for so long. I expect he will be in the lineup sooner rather than later, however. I mean, they desperately need him. The offense needs him, and they need his support. But Jacob Trubo was telling us after practice Wednesday that there had been rumblings Panarin would be returning, and then he waltzed into breakfast that day, and everyone was pumped to see him, obviously, and he got his warm welcome. However, I do believe he addressed the overall situation with the team as he should have. Obviously, the assault allegations against him have been discredited, but it's a serious accusation, you know, beating up a woman, and it's just something you want to clear the air with your teammates. Quinn did say that Panarin had been in touch with the whole team throughout the entire ordeal, keeping them in the loop and so on. He mentioned that Panarin has such a good relationship with everybody on the team, and that's what has made the entire thing that much easier to get through. And Truba said that everybody was on the same page and that they welcomed him back with open arms. So, Ron, it's good news for the New York Rangers that, that the bread man has risen. It's wonderful news. I'm still curious and wondering why he didn't play the last two games. And I know that Coach Quinn said all the players understand the situation. I don't quite understand the situation. I would love to know a little bit more, only out of curiosity. And I'm sure he has a good reason for not having played, but they could have used him in the last two games against Pittsburgh. Glad that he's back. When I heard he's going to be back, I'm thinking, oh, great, playing against Boston. It's going to be a tough series. They can use his abilities of being a threat every time he's on the ice, just his character in the dressing room. Then I hear he's not playing. I'm thinking, <laughs> why is he not playing? Because you got to believe, I understand he's not been on the ice, but you know he's been training and he was in great shape. So I kind of look at this as he's been resting, right? I'm trying to make a comparison, Molly, and think about this. You look at the Devils who had to take, I believe, around 12 days off because of COVID. They came back and everyone talked about their legs, this, their legs, that. They didn't practice, but you know those players are training. And they kicked ass against the Rangers. <laughs> so why is it, you know, you and I just talking right now. Why do yeah. you think? that he's not going to play tonight when I believe he should play. I don't care if he gives you 10 minutes. He's still Panarin on the ice. He's a threat. You put him on a power play. I'm not getting why he's not playing tonight. I do find it a little bit peculiar as well, Ron, just because I think there's a, a little bit of conflicting information that the Rangers have been giving us. Quinn did say a couple days ago that Panarin was skating, and like you said, that he was training, you know, these players are world-class athletes. They don't, they know that they can't just take all this time. And in Panarin's case, 16 days away from the ice without doing some sort of physical activity or some sort of training. And David Quinn did say that he was skating wherever it was, whether it was at the training facility in New York or near his house, wherever that is, he did say he was, he was skating. So I'm not a hundred percent sure why they feel like they want maybe it's because they want to personally see him skate a little bit longer or if they were telling us that he was skating and he really wasn't because he was dealing with other outside factors and other things that he had to take care of given the entire situation so i'm not a hundred percent sure as far as that's concerned, given what I just said, that it's a little bit of conflicting information. But I do feel like people need to give him a break in the sense that 
this entire situation was life-altering, I think, in my opinion. Something as serious as assault allegations against a woman is so serious and and not something to be taken lightly. And it's reputation-altering as well. It's, it's a very serious situation, and especially to be coming from someone who clearly has a political agenda. We don't know what it's like in Russia. We don't know what that political climate is like or what other things happen behind closed doors. I, I think we just need to give him a hot minute to just get his mind back into hockey, back with the Rangers, and and throwing him on the ice against a team like Boston, no less. I just don't think they thought it was a good idea, but I wouldn't be surprised if he played in the second game. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. Well, you make a good point. We don't know. It might just be that coach Quinn is afraid that he may get hurt because it's going to be a physical game and they want to protect him. Maybe it's not worth trying to getting him into one game and think, Oh my goodness, he gets hurt. Right. So it might just be protecting him from making sure that he's okay. Physically. Okay. And mentally he's gotten to adjust a little bit being around the players. So Molly, uh, moving on into the show, we're going to have Robbie McClanahan here, whom I played with, got to know him. Great guy, good-looking guy. And, <laughs> you uh, say so. <laughs> yeah. So I know that you're uh, 24, and mm-hmm. uh, still there are certain things in the hockey world that have happened that are special. What was Robbie McClanahan and the Olympic team? What does that mean to you? Like you said, I I wasn't even alive during that period of time and that magical miracle on ice run. But I have seen the movie Miracle several times. So I cannot wait to ask Robbie about what he thought about the movie of how many times he's seen it, because I personally have seen it 150 times, what he thought about the actor that played him and, and all that fun stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that interview just because I know it's such a magical moment in, in hockey history and, and to get to interview somebody who was who actually lived through it as opposed to me who, who was not even alive it's uh it's gonna be exciting and guys the rangers coming off a few losses and they'll play two of the bruins and then two with the flyers before we reconvene again next week molly birthday celebration in a pandemic now <laughs> how do you celebrate what's uh, are you taking yourself to a fancy dinner with with all your girls in jersey well i will say that my dear mother decorated the house for me She made sure I had my favorite dinner, which is hard shell crabs from this awesome place called Gilligan's in West Nyack, New York. Give that place a shout out. I have given them so much of my money. So I had hard shell crabs before I came on the podcast tonight and uh, it was delicious. And then honestly, I think my mom might have had a better day just knowing that Ron Duguay sent our home flowers. (laughs) I think that was the icing on the cake, not for my birthday, but for her birthday, literally. So thank you to Ron for making my mom's entire year, maybe her entire life. So thank you. <laughs> like who would have thought Did she ever think that was possible when it arrived at her home today in the bachelorette <laughs> palace, the Walker palace of uh, 
of single ladies. I took a picture of the nice card that you guys made me, which was signed by Jake and Ron Duguay. And she was at work. She's a teacher. And she wrote back to me, I just fell off my chair. (laughs) She said that she literally was holding back tears. She could not believe that Ron Duguay sent a bouquet of flowers. And she was just on. Of course, she likes to come and pop in and then say hi to Ron before we start recording. And she was saying that in her mind, Ron Duguay sent her flowers today. Mm. So we are going to let her have that one. We should, have, we should have included Ron to Molly and Wendy on the card. That would have, uh, <laughs> she would have held that and put it in a picture frame and put it on the wall. And we learned that you guys had the same week of birthdays. You're, you're what, Ron, July 6th? I'm July 6th. And apparently she's a few days after that. Mm. So possibly if I'm in New York in July around my birthday, I think the six of us go out somewhere and we go do a big celebration. I'm in. You're going to give my mom a heart attack. She'll she'll fall off a chair in the restaurant (laughs) and it won't free from whatever food. I don't even think she'll know what to say. I really just like, at least before coming on here, she could prepare herself and think about what she wants to say to you. But sitting across the dinner table from you might, might really send her over the edge. Hey, let me tell you something. She wouldn't be sitting across from me. I'd be sitting right next to her. (laughs) And, And she wouldn't have to say a thing. <laughs> oh, I'm so wildly oh, uncomfortable. I wow. just like this I don't will, even know. And neither me or Sarah will be in the corner capturing video of this moment for, uh, for the archives uh, because it will be incredible. Can't wait for July I mean, and things will be open. We could drink. To make a shadow box out of the yeah. flowers. We're gonna take the petals and have them <laughs> put in the oven and 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 preserved so we can keep them forever ron listen make make use of the flowers and the chocolates enjoy them between the both of you shout out to wendy shout out to molly happy birthday and get back to rangers talk next with the guy we don't know when his birthday is but we always love having him on the show that's the great larry brooks right here on up in the blue seats Joining us next is our New York Post Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer, Larry Brooks, the one and only. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy and read his stories in the post and at NYPost.com. Larry, let's begin with Igor Shesterkin. He sustains this mild groin strain and it's his third lower body injury within the first four-ish months of his career. How concerning is his durability to you? And do you think it's just because we've been spoiled by Henrik Lundqvist's Ironman streak for a majority of his career? And that's why Shesterkin's injuries are that much more noticeable. And what's going on with Alexander Georgiev? I'm concerned. I don't know that the Rangers are, but I am. And I'm not sure that it's fair or not. I, you know, I, But I just look at a, at a player who now has been out three different times with lower body injuries. And I, I don't think there's enough body of evidence to say that he is injury prone, but it raises a question for me. It raised a question for me last year when he actually sat out of the first two qualifying round playoff games. And he was going to be their number one. He was their number one. He was going to play against Carolina. And then he came up with this uh, injury against the Islanders in the exhibition game. And, and then he uh, aggravated it in, in the uh, in practices leading up to the qualifying round. For a, a player to miss playoff games, which essentially the qualifying round games were, it, it takes a lot to get a player out of a playoff game. And 
I was a little concerned over that. And of course, the other night last week, you see him go down. Honestly, it looked like he was never going to play again the way he went down with that, with, you know, the way he just went to the ice. It's great that it's only a mild strain. But if I were the Rangers, I would be a little concerned. Have we been spoiled? Were we spoiled by Lundqvist? I think to a degree. But I'm not sure that that frames the issue here. I think that if you had any young goalie come into the league and he was out three times within the first 26 games of his career, you would ask some questions. So that's the way I look at it. I I think it's something to take a look at. He has never played more than three straight games since he's come to the NHL. Part of it is because they just gave him time off, and part of it is because they didn't want to put too much on him too quickly. But I would like to see him when he gets back, and if he's healthy, and I assume he's not going to play until he's 100%, I'd like to see him get a run of games. I, I, I think the Rangers need to know, can he carry the team? This is a different kind of season, and it's a challenge. But I would like to know, can he play six or seven in a row? Can he play eight in a row if necessary? Uh, so that that's an open-ended question for me. Georgiev has just not been consistent at all. He has not been the same goaltender he's been with the Rangers his first couple of seasons. He has He's had like one or two real high points here this year. But his inability to stop high danger shots is, is alarming, I think. He is just extremely erratic. You just don't know when he's going to make a save at this point. And, you know, again, I, I, I don't pretend to be Benoit Lair. I don't even pretend to be Steve Valaket. But, you know, it's concerning to me that he has not been able to establish a game. And his issues lead to questions about do the Rangers have two to look for a second goalie? What is Georgiev's trade value? I would think it's pretty minimal at this point. And where do they go from here? So I think there's a lot to do, uh, a lot of work with Alex. Larry, I like to talk about uh, this two-game series coming up against Boston. And think about the team. I know you wrote about it on in Tuesday's uh, article. And you talked about mental toughness. Also, you talked about physical toughness because of what we've seen with the Rangers playing Boston. Boston was pushing them around a little bit. And the Rangers went ahead and signed this kid, Mason Gearstein, I think is how you pronounce his name. Big kid, defenseman. He's in Hartford. He, they have him playing forward. So my question to you, is it something that the Rangers really need to address moving forward? It's not just playing Boston. They're still working on the mental toughness, but physically, do they need to be a little bit tougher? Like, I mean, physically tougher where they got some muscle in the lineup? I don't think there's any question about that. And and I think that was apparent under the bubble last year when they played Carolina. And I think it's been apparent this year, especially against Boston. You know, you watch the Bruins play other teams and they kind of play them straight up. I mean, you know that Boston's going to is going to come physically. They're a hard team to play against. And that's exactly what the Rangers have to be. They have to be a hard team to play against. When I look at the Rangers going forward, I'm not so much looking at individual players that they can get. I'm looking at the type of players they need to get. They need to be a hard team that is going to win 65 to 70% of the 50-50s. They need to be a hard team that teams don't want to go up against every night. Right now, it's their talent. We know that their talent's been diminished this year. I mean, with Zibanejad and Panarin being, you know, being out for these this stretch of games. So their top two elite talent haven't been there for them. And when you take away their talent, what really is there? I think they need to model themselves sort of around a Boston-type team. 
that is very, very difficult to play against and has some talented players. And that's, to me, what Jeff Gordon and, and the hierarchy has to do this summer. They've got a lot of promising pieces, but what does it add up to at this point? I mean, they've got a lot of talented pieces. I would think that in the next couple of weeks or so, Vitaly Kravtsov will come over from the KHL. There, his team is one one loss away from being eliminated in the playoffs, and I think he'll come over. He's a talent guy. He's another talent guy. So you add another skill guy to the team, and, and everything I've been told is Kravtsov has, you know, his skill is off the charts. He's just not a skilled guy. He's an off-the-chart skilled guy. And hopefully he will be able to flourish over here. Hopefully he'll be getting minutes over here. But again, it's, it's, it's the same type of player the Rangers have, and no team goes deep into the playoffs just on talent. It's impossible. Nobody does. It's a, it's a different game. It's, you know, it's, it's a half-court game. Yeah, I, I think the Rangers have to take a long look this summer at the type of players they want on their team and go after types of players more than individual players. I got really excited. I thought you were going to say to model the team off of the Islanders. Well, that too. <laughs> that wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, but, you know, Get me Barzal first, and then we can go from there, okay? <laughs> There's been a, a decent amount of criticism of Brett Howden, and rightfully so. He's pretty invisible on the ice, and when he is visible, it's it's not for a good reason. What do you think the Rangers should do with him? Well, at this point, I think they're, they're kind of stuck. They don't have all that many options because his waiver exemption – expired early in the season. I think if there had been a normal American League season, I think there's a pretty good chance he would have started the season in Hartford and then gone out and played and played and played. But with the AHL season delayed and the schedule such as it is, they're playing 24 games, they're only playing against two teams, they're playing you know two teams 12 times piece. It didn't really lend to Howden developing down in the AHL either. But now his, his uh, waiver exemption is is expired. And so he's either on the Rangers or he's on some other NHL team. His offensive game is just disintegrated. I watched him as a rookie and he wasn't a great offensive player, but he was capable. And the first half or first two thirds of his rookie season, he was on the second power play and he earned his, his second power play time. He could make plays. He was around the net. He, you know, he, he made some really nice plays, some eye-opening plays. But in, in the two years since then, his game has just deteriorated to the point where he's now a fourth-line center who is a penalty killer. And I'm not sure that as they go forward, there's going to be a spot for Brett Howden unless he can pick up his offense. I've always thought that Howden, and I, and I said this to him a number of times back in the, you know, back in the day when we go into the locker room and actually talk to guys one-on-one, that I didn't quite understand why all of his attributes didn't add up to more of an offensive presence. And he didn't have a great answer for me, but we talked about it because everything I saw from him, he was on the puck, he was hard on the puck, he was willing to go to the dirty areas, he took the puck to the net when he could. It just didn't translate into goals and it didn't translate into many assists. Now you don't really see any of the underlying attributes that he brought a couple of years ago. So I think, you know, they can't even get him onto the taxi squad because you need waivers to get onto the taxi squad. So I think he's here until he's not. And he's such a hard worker. He's such, and you can understand he's a coach's delight, but he is just not adding anything to the team right now. Larry, we can't let you go without your comments on, um, we're going to be talking, we have Robbie McClanahan on the show and Tommy Laidlaw. We want to talk Mark Pavlich. 
former alumni, ranger, teammate of mine, uh, a friend, and I would love to hear your thoughts on Mark Pavlich. It's tragic, just tragic. You know, I I was actually thinking back in those years when he started with the Rangers that I was doing columns and I was covering both the Rangers and Islanders those couple of years. I wasn't going on the road, really. I was just doing whichever team was at home. I thought to myself, did I ever, did I know Mark Pavlich? And I thought to myself, well, I must have. (laughs) I I mean, I was around, but... You know, Mark Pavlich rarely spoke to the media. I mean, I I don't know. I I mean, I must have spoken to him. I have very little recollection of any interactions with him. I do know that he was a wonderfully entertaining player to watch play. I do know from guys I've talked to who are on the team that he was just a quiet guy who wanted to play hockey and go fishing. So (laughs) that's how I know Mark Pavlich. And and certainly as his his life unfolded, it became just a tragic story. And um, his circumstances, his death are just very, very sad. Thank you so much for that, Larry. And thank you for your time as always. Looking forward to chatting next week. Thanks, Molly. Thanks, Dukes. Our first of two guests this episode is a former Rangers defenseman of seven seasons after he was drafted by the organization 93rd overall in 1978. He also played for the Los Angeles Kings, which wrapped up his 11 seasons in the NHL. He currently runs a sports management company in Rybrook, New York, and has coined the mantra, true grit life. And probably the coolest experience of his lifetime was competing on the hit CBS show, Survivor, appearing on the 39th season of the show, Island of the Idols. Please welcome Tom Laidlaw. Thanks for joining us, Tom. How are you? Hi, Molly. I'm doing great. Hey, listen, but the only thing that was cooler than being on Survivor was playing with Ron Duguay. I mean, somebody, <laughs> you know, in, in both New York and Los Angeles, it really topped anything I've done in my whole life playing with Duke. So, Hey, Tom, one thing that hasn't changed over the years between you and I, I'm getting in at 3.30 in the morning. You're just getting up and you're going to the gym. What's up with that? (laughs) I follow you on social media and 3.30 in the morning, 4 o'clock, you're pushing weights. And I'm like, what is this? Well, I I was used to being awake at 3.30 in the morning before, but just like you, Ron, I was getting home. Now I've just changed it. I just get up at 3.30 instead of getting up, uh, getting home at 3.30. So it's, yeah, no different. So yeah, big change in my life. The whole true good life to me has been fantastic. It's all it's kind of taking a life of its own. I've got a book coming out and all that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of fun. So Tom, I don't know if I've asked you this before. Most of us, a lot of us play without a helmet. I know you play with one and concussions was something that a lot of players had to deal with. And the one player that we want to talk about is a friend of ours that we lost, Mark Pavlich. So I guess I want to ask you first, did you have, you had to deal with concussions, the effects of, of having concussions at all? Oh, uh, yes. I, I do. I'm probably like you, right? I don't even know how many concussions. We really didn't keep track of them. We didn't call them concussions. I'm guessing I had somewhere between 10 and 20 concussions, like everybody that played. You know, listen, I, my father had dementia when he passed away. So it's something that's on my mind quite a bit that, you know, listen, I, I'm assuming a lot of us have CTE just from, I mean, it's logical to say that's happened. So it's just kind of in the back of your mind, yeah? Yeah, and the one thing when we talk about Pav, he was a little man who played big. And I can't tell you how many times that, because I, I was his centerman. I mean, his winger, and he would go in the corners, and most of the time, or often, he'd come out of there and his helmet's on the ice. And so he took a lot of hits to the head, and I guess we're finding out now that uh, a lot of how he got into 
this depression and drinking and his uh, social problems was probably from concussions. What do you remember about Pavin being around him? Because I know you play with him a few more years. Well, the only thing I'd add, Duke, is, and I, I don't disagree with you at all when you say probably from concussions, but I guess it's the thing we just don't know, right? I mean, uh, there's a lot of guys that have concussions and have, you know, fine life after that, so we really don't know. But you're right. He was a hard player. He worked hard. He was competitive. He played a physical game for a small guy. I just had total admiration for Pavin. He was the kind of guy we joke around, you know, and, and, and you're one of the guys I look at, too. So you're in New York, you know, and you Ron Greshner and Dave Maloney and all the guys going out in the city and dressed nice and everything. I'm sure you remember the Pav. Pav would show up to practice every day and he'd have a pair of corduroy pants and a flannel shirt on. We had the dress code that you had to have a jacket and tie on. So all Pav would do was he would take that same flannel shirt and corduroy pants and put a tie on and, and some jacket and that's how he would go to games. So here we got guys like you, Dukes, that are going out all dressed nice and everything, going to the city. And Pav's got the corduroy shirt and the corduroy, the flannel shirt and the corduroy pants and some jacket that didn't match. But the thing was, he could care less. It was like he was there to play hockey and be the best hockey player possible. And he really did work hard at his craft. I mean, he was the first guy on the ice working on his stuff and everything. And like you said, he was so dedicated on the ice, great teammate. So it's just, it's funny thinking back about Pav. It's just, he's the kind of guy you say that, you know what, you really admired him because he was there to be the best hockey player possible. And that's all that mattered to him. Yeah. I know you were out with him socially because you guys were living in Westchester. You're out with him socially a little bit. Did you see anything in him where he wasn't, he wasn't a happy guy? Because I know his happiest when he was on the ice, but did you see anything in him where he wasn't a happy person? No, I didn't do. You know, it's I, people ask me questions about him recently. Like even when he left the game and uh, you know went off to live in the woods and everything, people thought was was that weird. But with Pav, it wasn't. That was just the way Pav lived. He was a, he was happy just doing Pav's thing. Like he would leave practice and go home sometimes, and just sit around, sing Bob Dylan songs and play the guitar all the time. And when he'd come in the next day, he couldn't talk because he'd he'd sung so much the day before, and that made Pav happy. He was just so much different than everybody else. But we didn't think that there was anything ever wrong with Pav because that is just who Pav was. He was consistently like that. He wasn't going to do just what everybody else did. He had his life the way he wanted to live it. You know, I was thinking about stories about him. Uh, I, you know, we all were practical jokers back there. And I can't remember what I did to him. There was some practical joke. Uh, and I had an old Jeep back then that I drove around and he'd gone in to kind of, you know, payback for me. I think it was a six cylinder and he pulled one of the the cables off the spark plug, so my not it wasn't it was only fire on five spark five spark plugs instead of six. And I was driving around for a couple of days like that, not like an idiot, not even knowing what he'd done. And he felt so bad. I, and I was the one that started it. I was the one that started the practice joke. He felt so bad that he had to come to me and fix it and say, "Tom, I'm sorry that I did this to you." So when I hear you know how he was at the end of his life, that's not the man I remember. He was a happy and like caring guy, like a really like a, a, a kind soul who really cared about other people. So uh, yeah, I, I always remembered him as being a happy guy that just cared about other people too. Thank you for sharing that, Tom. Switching gears a little bit here. I'm curious about your transition from a NHL player to then becoming a player agent. Do you feel like your experience in the league gives you an advantage when it comes to representing players and what's What's been the most rewarding thing about being on the other side of things? Well, just to be clear, I, I've gotten out of the business. I did that for 22 years, Molly, but it was, it, was, it was a great question by you because I really didn't anticipate how much of an advantage it would have been for me to be a player. So there's so many things you have to deal with. You have to deal with coaches and the media, and like things like, you know, when a, when a player's having a problem with a coach, I would always say to him, listen, you know, don't have, like, I, I can go talk to the coach for you if you want, but the coach is going to respect you more if you go right into his office and close the door even if you guys have a you know clearing of the air and you're yelling at each other, 
he's going to respect you more because you've come, you've come to him man to man and and you've tried to figure out what the problem is with the situation. So I think the most rewarding thing is when you, when a player says to you and a family says, you're okay, like I trust you to help guide my son through his career in the National Hockey League and you give him advice that really helps him with his career, you know, and then he's able to look back and go, like, I've had some players say to me, like, like Tom, when I was out there, I, I had your voice in my head. You know, when that kind of stuff happens, it's pretty rewarding. You know, I mean, listen, the, the financial part where you're negotiating great contracts, that's that's fantastic too. But when you're, you know, the same as probably, you know, Ron and I, the same boat, you know, you dream all your life of getting there and you want to be the best player possible. When that happens, you know, to be a part of that is, uh, you know, even if it's a small part of that, it's, it, that's pretty rewarding. I also have to hear about your time on Survivor. My mom and I <laughs> have been watching that show my entire oh. life, and it is oh. one of my favorites. I believe you lasted 14 days. What was that experience like for you, and, and what was the hardest part? Well, first of all, well, if you like, you should get on the show. It's a blast. Oh, oh, we'll help you I wouldn't last two minutes, Tom. <laughs> you could not pay me. <laughs> You know what? It was one of those deals. I like I was sixty when I went on the show. I turned sixty-one actually out on the show. So I and all like I do all this motivational speaking now, and I'm always trying to say to people, listen, there's something you want to do in your life. Don't worry about your age or your uh, your height or your skin color or whatever it is. It'll go do it. Like don't don't have a bucket list and wait until later on in your life to go do that. You know, do it now. So uh, that was probably one of the biggest reasons it went on. But I'll be honest with you, it was a great experience for me too. Like it, it's one of those things, probably only, I think it's like 600 people or whatever have play, ever played the game in 20 years and 40 seasons. So when they, it was in Fiji. So when they drop you off in the island and now you realize, man, this is a real deal. You know, I'm, I'm really playing the game. It was, it was pretty cool. I mean, you know, I was sleeping in the dirt. I lost 27 pounds when I was out there. One of the funniest stories that everybody asked for, and it's kind of a little bit gross in some way, but people ask like, what do you do from going to the bathroom? You know, and and you really don't think there's no toilet paper or nothing like that. So they teach you to go. Out. I know, I know. So they teach you, they teach you to go out in the ocean. Uh, they call it an aqua bomb. So, but but the the funniest the funniest thing though is that once you do your your business out there, you know, it's floating around on the top of the water, and it's the ocean. So the the waves are crashing in. It's like it's like you're trying to run away from your own, you know what, uh, out in the ocean. So those it was those kinds of simple little things you think of, like you should have thought about that on the way out there. But when you're doing it, it's like it was actually kind of funny. Like now, when you talk to other players about it, that's one of the things they talked about. That those simple little things it was pretty funny. But it was it was a blast. You know, it, it's hard. Like it's more hard mentally because you're trying to work with people to you know you're building shelter and trying to work and build alliances and all that time. But then you also know that everybody's trying to backstab everybody else, right? You want to do everything you can to get somebody else voted off other than you. But I, I really tried to make sure that when I went out there, I was going to play the game a certain way. And when I knew I was getting voted off, I really felt like listen, I was disappointed that I could vote her off but I really felt good that I did what I wanted to do and uh, I'd love to do it again actually it was it was fantastic well Tom Molly just threw up the chocolates we got her for her birthday and I just <laughs> threw up the shrimp burrito that I had before recording this show so thank you for that. <laughs> that's right you better you better have you better have some cucumbers and hummus instead <laughs> <laughs> well Tom your tribe has spoken I've always wanted to say that <laughs> there you go all right well, thanks good job. for nice. your like time <laughs> and we hope to have you on the show again in the future my pleasure Our second guest of the show is also a former Ranger, a winger who played parts of two seasons with the team, one in 1981-82 and the other in 1982-83. He was the Buffalo Sabres 49th overall selection in the 1978 NHL draft and logged 224 games in the league. 
but he is best known for being a member of the 1980 Miracle on Ice U.S. Olympic hockey team that defeated Russia en route to a gold medal at Lake Placid. For that alone, he is an American hero. Please welcome Rob McClanahan. Hey, Rob, it's Ron here, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. I, uh, when I think about you, I think about uh, years that uh, I had a whole lot of fun in New York, and you were part of that those couple of years. You know, I scored 40 goals. Herb Brooks was in town. New York was hot. It was Studio 54, and you were around that time. So that's why whenever I run into you, bring back fond memories. In fact, you and I played a little bit on the same line with Pav, and, and that's why we're having you on the show right now because we want to honor him, talk about him. And there's no one better than yourself because you spent that special time, that miracle time with Pav. How close were you with Pav? And how would you best describe him? Oh, Ron. First of all, we had some really good teams those couple of years there. The only problem, we had a team called the Islanders that were just a, a fraction better than us that got in our way. But I would argue that we always gave the Islanders the best series that they played in any of their cup wins. But how would I describe Pav? Pav was a very simple individual uh didn't need a lot didn't want a lot great teammate as you can attest to and just a, a wonderful friend just went about his business didn't need any any spotlight stuff you know he just he kept things simple and he loved the game of hockey and when you think about you know they talk about how he uh, fell into depression and they talk about him having concussions and him appearing not to be happy did you see any of that with him that during the time you play with him or was just quiet no i didn't see any of that I, I i didn't see any of that even when i saw him later in life every time i saw pavy had a smile on his face and we you know we'd shake each other's hand give each other a hug and and uh catch up on on old times and he and i were we were roommates on the road when i when i was there and you talk about an odd couple holy smokes <laughs> Two polar opposite guys, but uh, we got along well. And like I said, Pav was just a, a very gentle soul who loved the game of hockey and, and played it the right way. So why don't you share with us exactly what's your life like now? Because I'm sure you've had different opportunities and your comfort zone has been hockey. What is it that you're up to personally? So when I was in New York, I got involved in, uh, and worked on Wall Street for two summers while I was there. And so I'm, I'm in the investment business. I work for a local firm in Minnesota and Minneapolis, Craig Hallam Capital Group. It's an institutional equity shop or investment bank. And I've been, so I've been in that business since I retired from hockey. And I also coach a high school hockey team, a boys high school hockey team here in Minnesota. You know, we do, we are playing this year. The, the season is abbreviated. It's about 75% of what a normal schedule would be, but we're on the ice six out of seven days a week. Well, I'm going to pass it on to Molly, but before I do so, I'm just giving you a heads up. Molly is a big fan of Miracle, <laughs> the movie. She's young. She just turned 24. <laughs> She's my co-host. And she's a great writer for the New York Post. So I'm going to pass it on to her. And I'm just letting you know she's a big fan of yours. So here it goes. Uh, Ron is always blowing up my spot. He just has a true specialty for doing that now. But yes, I'll be honest. The Miracle on Ice was before my time. I wasn't even born yet. So I've just grown up hearing stories about it and watching the movie Miracle on repeat whenever I have the chance. I just personally love to hear about what it was like competing under a man like Herb Brooks. You know, what what was he like away from the ice? Well, we didn't really hang around with him off the ice. He was very much coach player, you know, and as he progressed into the pros, he, he softened a little bit, but he was very much a taskmaster. Uh, he was prepared for it, absolutely anything and everything that uh, would happen. 
and he he was candidly he was hard to play for but if you learned how to play for him you were rewarded and he was a student of the game without question and some of the types of styles that he incorporated with the olympic team and he actually tried to bring it into with new york as well but primarily with the olympic team is in those days it was pretty much north a north south hockey game you know nobody changed positions nobody crossed you know it was all north south not east west and so he had us play more what at that time they would call a European style game where you interchange positions, you could circle, you could come around behind the, your respected defenseman and, and come in late to the play and, and be a late trailer. And he allowed us to be creative offensively. And yet when we didn't have the puck, he, he demanded us to be disciplined defensively. We weren't always that solid on the D, but we were good enough that we found success. How many times have you watched the movie Miracle? Because I personally have watched it over 150 times easily. And what did you think about your portrayal by, I think it was Nathan West? Yeah, uh, I have probably watched it, oh, maybe twice in its entirety. But I've seen clips and I, you know, I've seen portions of it. Nathan West did a nice job. But to be honest with you, Molly, the movie is, is about Herbie. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that with frustration or, or anger. It was a movie about Herbie and Kurt Russell's portrayal of Herb was spot on. He was just, it was so well done. And, it, you know, the message that it sends is real. And that is, if you work hard enough and you dream big enough, there's no guarantee to it. But Great things can happen. Well, I always have that final speech before the Russia game playing through my head all the time. So thank you so much for just being a part of such a memorable moment in hockey history. And and thanks for taking the time to join us on the show and hope to have you on again in the future. Well, I look forward to it. Thank you very much for having me. And we, uh, as as Ron knows, Pav is already sorely missed. He was a dear, dear friend. And, and as, as Dukes knows, he was a great teammate as well. So thank you very much. That's all we have for episode 47, the JT Miller edition of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks as always to Jake Brown and Sarah McCurry for producing the show. Subscribe wherever you find podcasts, but go into Apple Podcasts now and give us that five-star rating and write in a nice review. It's easy and it's free. We appreciate it. For number 10, Ron Duguay, I'm Molly Walker. We are back next Thursday and every Thursday this season. Stay safe, everybody. And thanks for listening to everyone's favorite Rangers podcast. So long.